welcome to the Readings Podcast. My name is Mari Madison and I'm talking today to Dr Anita Heiss about a book that she's just edited, Growing Up Aboriginal in Australia, from Black Ink. Dr Anita Heiss is the author of non-fiction, historical fiction, commercial women's fiction as they call it, other fiction, poetry, social commentary, travel articles, look, everything. Uh, her books have included Titus and I Black Enough for You, and Barbed Wire and Cherry Blossoms. She's a proud member of the Wiradjuri Nation of Central New South Wales. And she's also a lifetime ambassador of the Indigenous Literary Foundation. You have done a lot of things, and you do a lot of things. Thank you for that introduction, yes. I have to say. And I, well, I've done a lot of things. It doesn't mean I'm, I'm looking to do... I'm looking to find the one thing I can do really well. Let's well, just say that. I so think you did this I'm really trying well. lots of things to see what I can do I think well. editing this collection might be the answer to that. Oh, That's you. something you did very... For me, you did very, very well. I found it a really wonderfully collected yeah. series of memories, recollections and stories that were being shared. Thank you. Um, I watched a TED Talk that you gave on One, one Time Sameness TEDx Talk mm. in which you mentioned being struck by the first line of Alice Pung's memoir, Unpolished yes. Gem about how it wasn't a boat story and how that was something that sort of fermented with you in then um, writing Am I Black Enough for You? Um, So she went on to edit Blacking's first collection growing up Asian in Australia. Is this a stroke of serendipity that brought you to Blacking to edit this collection? I had not even made that connection, but this is true. So, yeah, so, you know, reading her memoir... like into the early hours of the morning, I could not put it down, and and it made me think. You know, I need to write the story that does not begin in the desert, and there's no didgeridoos, just as she did. You know, the story does not begin on a boat, and there are no. Uh, I think she said wild swans and falling leaves. So <laughs> let's just get that picture out of the out of your mind straight away, and um, and that did inspire me. It was a very it was a springboard for me to go and do my memoir. Am I black enough for you? Um, but no, I hadn't made that connection, and I, I, I love Alice and, and, and her work. So, I did, what happened was I got a, a call or an email from Aviva Tuffield from Black Ink, saying asking would I be interested in, in working on this project. And what was interesting at the time was right before Christmas, where at the end of the year most of us are all exhausted and ready just to all fall down. And I had made a personal decision that I would take on no more projects, as it were, for a year. I needed I needed some time off just to time off writing and recharge and so forth and um and of course this comes in and I look at it and I think to myself how can I say no to this it's not a project it's an opportunity to have many 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 uh voices be heard in a landscape where for a long time we've been voiceless it's an opportunity for um Aboriginal people to tell their own stories around growing up as a First Nations person treated like quite often as a second class citizen in this country and also I saw it as um, an opportunity for us to showcase um, our skills in storytelling, which is um, a skill that's been passed on from generation to generation to generation. So um, got sucked in straight away and, and, and it, it is something that I'm incredibly proud of because your reaction to it is something that I've experienced from a amazingly from across the board from people reading it on trains in Japan to teach librarians reading it and and for their own PD and and your listeners will know probably as readers and as writers that when you put something in the public domain you have no control 
over how it's read, who reads it, how it's read, um, what people's responses are to it, what lens they're reading it through. You just have to, you have no control. So, and as, and as is the case with lots of Aboriginal stuff, it can go either way, you know. It could have been, people could have just saw it as too much of a challenge and not been interested at all. But what's been interesting is... Even those people who are finding it a challenge to read are reading a few stories, putting it down, um, you know, having an emotional response, be it um, sympathy or empathy or anger, and then picking it up again. So I think, um, and I'm sure I don't know what Alice's experience was with growing up Asian, but I know that was highly successful as well, which is what led to this one. So... After you'd had uh, that phone call from Aviva and well, email from Aviva and you'd gone, oh, instead of doing nothing, I'm going to do a huge project involving multiple voices mm. over a period of time and mm. it's going to be big and it's going to be one of the first of its kind, mm. which is a question in itself, isn't it, because it's mm. 2018 now and I guess things happen yeah. when they get to happen, happen, which is wonderful, but... Um, how did you then go about soliciting submissions yeah. for it? I mean, what good was that process? Good, it's an important question mm. because people often wonder, well, how did you pick these people? Mm. Um, and I just wanted to say that because you said, you know, it's the first of its kind and things happen when it happens. And I think the time was right, is right, yeah. um, and that Australians are now ready to hear these kinds of stories in authentic voices. So this is a good thing. As you said, pick it up, read a few, put, put it, down, it down, but come back. Yeah, come back. Come back. So yeah. the the idea was we we did a national call out and I think February last year for two months was a national call out. So, you know, all over social media, through community organisations, through Fanorn, which is a First Nations Australian Writers Network. So through those networks where we could tap into emerging and established authors, um, we also we, we approached you know, a number of people. So we've, we've got some Adam Goods, who Black Ink, and I'd worked with Adam Goods on a book called Kicking Goals, so we used some of his words. Uh, we approached Deborah Cheatham, uh, Miranda Tapsall, Tony Birch, um, Jared Thomas. So we, what we wanted to do was have some established authors and um, personalities who we knew had a skill in storytelling so that the emerging, the first-time authors, these maybe first-time, one-time authors, could have their work stand alongside some established authors as well. What I didn't anticipate was that we would have such an overwhelming response to the call-out, so we actually had, in all, I had to read 120 submissions, which is quite a lot. It's Um, It's huge. So it slowed the editorial process down because we didn't expect, you know, so many, and trying to fit in as many as possible in within a book, you know. So we've got 52 out of the 120 we could we could include in the physical volume. more than 50% of those contributors are female, completely accidentally. Um, our youngest is 13 years old. Our oldest is in their 70s. Um, one contributor is incarcerated. Their work was facilitated by um, a, a friend outside. Um, we have contributors from um, Noongar to uh, Nukunu, from Wiradjuri to Western Aranda, um, Gamilaroi to Gambenya, so everywhere and everywhere in between, remote, coastal, rural, urban stories. So what I wanted was where, as best as possible, um, as many nations to be represented 
and and but you know basically just we we looked for a story that was well written that fit the brief and the brief was quite broad mm. and that was you know your story of growing up aboriginal in australia so whatever that meant to you but we weren't publishing fiction and we weren't publishing poetry there is some poetry in there that fits into the story yeah. of that particular contributor yeah, no, some wonderful poetry yeah, in there. Amazing. That, Makes but, me want yeah, to be that, a poet. That is woven into the story. Yes. Like, oh, if only I could say it that way. I know. But, <laughs> and I did want to say, because the hardest thing for me as the editor was making that making those decisions. It's, it's, it's not a job I ever want to do again. Okay, so um, what we did was very early in the piece have a meeting with Kerry Kilner, who runs, who's the general manager of Auslit, which is the online literary resource, the only one of its kind in the world. And so Auslit agreed to publish in a digital format anybody who wasn't um, um, picked up in in this oh, anthology. So yeah. everybody technically had an opportunity to be published. Yeah. And so I think there's about 10 or 11 of those online that are being published on Blackwords, which people can access, yes. and there's teacher's notes for those as well. And Beautiful. so what it meant was we actually technically could have nearly everybody who submitted um, online. Uh, available in either in the hard copy print there or the digital book in Growing Up Indigenous and so forth. You weren't going to lose any stories that people wanted I to share. I think if, yeah. if people, the thing, what your listeners will will see is how brave I think. I mean, when I read those stories, I'm like, this is well, people are brave to trust, to trust the publisher, to trust me, to take their words and then put them into the public domain. Um, so the people, I think people were very brave slash courageous and I think I wanted to honour that. And, um, you know, because the stories are by and large and challenging, they speak of resilience and a resilience that Aboriginal people are forced to find at the earliest years of childhood. And so the sto- many of the stories are around quite difficult, unpleasant moments in life and you don't share those lightly. You no. don't share those without knowing that this might, may cause you some more grief. It may cause grief to the people in your world as well. So I think if, if someone's taken the time to put those onto paper and then put their trust in, in myself, they don't know me, myself and a publisher, that let's let's see what we can do to make sure that that, that trust is actually um, used well. Yeah. I think, do, were you surprised by some of the... I mean, the sort of the openness of the responses? Yeah, the, uh, yes. the detail people would go into about their lives? I was surprised and... by the... Um, a couple of things that surprised me. I was surprised by how many stories talked about racism. And I think what well, I was more I was saddened more than surprised. Yeah. I was saddened that the racism that were written about wasn't just in one period of time in history because we had stories that spanned different generations and that, that racism was a, quite a common theme and that people had been so um, affected by racism. And, and, but by the same token, I go, oh, yes, that happened to me. Uh, I was the same age. So there was the surprise... Um, su- oh, no, I don't know. Well, I guess it's, it's a sense of comfort in the, in, in, 
unfortunately in the negative, we're finding comfort that other people have had the same story and that you're not the only one. However, the things that we found that were common were quite often negative experiences. It was racism in the school, you know, the expectation that you're the walking, talking Aboriginal encyclopedia, the impact of stolen generations on families was a very common theme as well. Um, I guess some of the lighter moments were people talking about sport in your yeah. family and things like that. Some lovely, I think the joyful things that, that come through in the anthology, um, which I was grateful for, is the commonality in family values, commonality in place and country being important, and strength in, and dignity in pride and pride and identity. So I, th- I think I was surprised, as I said, I was surprised by levels of racism and so forth, surprised by how honest and raw some of the stories were and that's what I mean there's a real trust and I think people to share those stories there's a real hope I hope that if I tell this story um, you know this country will come to better understand who we are collectively and that for the next generation someone asked me last week oh in 25 years if there's another anthology like this what do you think it'll look like and I said well this was written for a purpose Mm. I hope that purpose isn't around anymore this was written for schools so that in the classroom teachers can actually have indigenous perspectives and we can create a new dialogue about and around and with aboriginal people and I hope that if we have to have one of these in 25 years' time, it's stories of shining leadership and hope and kids living their dreams of being whatever they want to be, a landscape gardener or an astronaut, I don't care. Yeah. But they're not having to... They're not talking about racism in school and they're not, they're, not, um, they're not dealing with intergenerational trauma around being removed and so forth. I think that's a thing, that idea of... I mean, and clearly, as you say, this is for an educational purpose, in, you know, specifically in a school situation as well as in general Australian community. But so many of the recollections of people involve moments of strange schooling, mm. of the disconnect of mm. non-Aboriginal voices mm. giving an Aboriginal history mm. that doesn't mm. relate to them. So mm. it feels like just... It, it's funny that the process of... For me, I found fascinating the process of reading the accumulation, the accumulation of all these stories is mm. that sense of this being the first time mm. that people might go into a school now and get the proper mm. or a multi faceted view yeah, yeah. of Indigenous no, Australia. you're right. Absolutely right. So there's been there's been many. There's lots of anthologies. Abs- yeah. I'm a huge yeah. fan of anthologies, so you can have the diversity mm. of voice and experience. Um, and we've had anthologies across um, geography and across genre and across gender. Uh, we've had the Macquarie Pen Anthology of Aboriginal Literature. That was all work that had previously been published, which is great. Yeah. That was also groundbreaking. I think that was the last time I said I'm never doing anthology yeah, again because she can't please everybody. This is a thing. And I've had people say, why aren't I in there? I'm like, well, you read the anthology cover to cover and you mm-hmm. tell me who I can take out. It's the hardest job in the world. It's an awful it's like job. being a ref at a footy match. Yeah, it's an awful Someone's going to hate you. Yeah. So, um, so I, but I, I firmly believe, which is one of the reasons why I said I would be part of this, I firmly believe that it will make a difference in the classroom. Firmly believe that. If I didn't believe that that was possible or that was going to be the outcome, I wouldn't have bothered. And I know the 
the response that I've had already from teachers and teacher librarians is that it, it gives them the capacity to even if they're not even if they're working in primary schools it's it's their PD it's yes. giving them the capacity to have better ways to explain things in the classroom. And I'm an advocate for a national curriculum because I work in classrooms around the country and I see the differences in um, knowledge and experience and engagement in states where stolen gins isn't taught, for instance. I met a teacher, yeah, I met a teacher last week from the Gold Coast who said they don't teach, teach stolen gins at their school. I didn't know that. Like, how is anymore? that possible? Wow. Okay. And so um, I've just... You know, so I, you know, New South Wales have done, have done Indigenous Perspectives very well. I mean, I, I think we were teaching, I had a book come out on Stolen Generations in 2001. So that's a long time um, to be in front. Yeah. So I'm really happy that, it, that nationally there's, let's put everyone on the same page, so to speak. Let's have kids leaving school with a, a very similar knowledge base in certain areas. And Indigenous Perspectives is one of the three core areas that much, must be embedded I know curriculums are already jam-packed. I know teachers generally work their asses off. And so my goal always is not to is to provide resources and ways of doing things that isn't going to generate more work for the teacher, teachers yeah. who are already under the pump, right? So I go, well, here's this book. There's teacher's notes online. And I know that many of the readers so far, and we need to reprint within a few weeks, and many of the readers are teachers and teacher librarians. Yeah, we've been selling books. I know. Books. It's, been it's been on yes. the top ten list. It has. Thank you it very has. much. It's and been... for the donation to the ILF. Yes, absolutely. Um, and those teacher notes are fantastic. They really do just kind of... Just make it a little bit easier. Just a bit easier. Just make it Anything easier. Anything that makes things a bit easier. Yeah. To, exactly. To make exactly. A, exactly. Have I, a larger conversation. Anything that does. Totally that. agree. And also it shouldn't... It, it struck me when you were saying that about you don't want to give people more work and it's got to be a core area. Is that it's... Of course it must be a core area. We're talking about Australia. We're talking about Australians. Yes, but this is normal for you and I. Well, it's I not know. normal for everybody. No, it isn't. And, and that's what I mean. But and teachers are coming out of institutions yeah, having not had any exposure yeah. at the university on Indigenous perspectives. And um, I taught. I yeah. used to teach Indigenous Studies at Macquarie in another life and at the time my uh, director of the of the indigenous unit Michael McDaniel he, he would say no 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 student should graduate from any tertiary institution having not done one unit on you know indigenous studies 101 and it wasn't compulsory back then when I was teaching it wasn't compulsory for any degree at, the, at Macquarie for for any student at that university to do any unit on indigenous studies now in education for any education degree, I think for media, for health, people should be doing at least an intro subject. So the students that came to do our course were doing it as an elective. And they were coming to get not even background in Indigenous studies because many of them came with some knowledge. They came looking for ways to teach in the yes. classroom. So they will be good teachers because they, they took it upon themselves mm. to do that. So I think... Uh, until that problem is solved, Absolutely. you know, we're still behind the eight ball. So the best that we can do as a publisher and a bookseller and author is make the resources available. Definitely. I mean, I did a history degree and it didn't involve any yeah. mandatory no. Australian history. Well, I did an Australian history degree and I don't think it did either. It was back in, I say, way back in the dream time. Yes, <laughs> yes let's not talk about okay. when we all studied history. Yeah, right. um, I... 
the other aspect that for me I think one of my greatest joys in the book is actually the photos that yeah. start each thing. I spent a lot of time going, oh, I'm getting about to get to the next photo. Yeah, cute. And the photos were fantastic. I found myself always kind of looking for my features in the photo, going, oh, that's a bit like me, or that's a bit... And I was wondering about the photos. Was that something that you had um, put out with the submission? No, Is that something I, that people just came back with? No, I think that was um, a uniform... It, it was the, the idea was through conversation with, um, you know, Aviva and probably the design team and myself, mm. and that was a decision made. We'll have, like, a childhood photo uh, for for the start for their story and then an author photo. Um and as it turns out, it's a, it's a really beautiful concept. So this is who I was growing up, yeah. and this is who I am now with their bio. But I hadn't I hadn't intended on giving a photo, and I, you know I've moved states, and you know they were constantly chasing me for a photo, oh, okay. photo. So I had to get onto my mother, and uh, but I know the house was really careful with everybody's images because they are part of history as well, yes. and I think they do add um, they do add something much to to the volume, given that one of them common themes across the anthology is white Australia's preoccupation with the way Aboriginal people look. Yes. So lots of people are talking about colour yeah. and caste and, you know, and there's this obsession mm. with the way Aboriginal people look. So I think the photos sort of speak to that as well. I think very definitely that's yeah, what yeah. I loved about it. Yeah, yeah. Sort of, you'd have the photo and then your first yeah. thing would be, you don't look at yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, just staying on the photos just for a moment. Having those photos of uh, childhood and then having the author photos at the end, I think really speaks to that idea of continued presence yeah, yeah. and hope. Yeah. So you said there's so much about resilience. Yes. Like there's nothing more resilient than having a childhood photo and an adult photo. Yeah. Still here. Still here. So, you know, you had your acts of protection this, and you had this. the assimilation policy and you need to really just get with the program because we're not going anywhere. Yeah. So you might talk about the colour of people's skin, yeah. but you're still here. Yeah, and I think one of the, one of the strongest statements with, that collectively with the anthology is this: um, even in people's darkest moments and of, that they've written about and so forth, there is this strength and, and pride and identity. And I think you know, there's the young girl. Uh, I think it's Taryn Little who's 13. I, I just find her story so hopeful yeah. because she talks about wanting to, you know, looks forward to the future of sharing culture and identity and everything and go, oh, we'll yeah. knock that right out of you as you get older. No, no, no. no. Okay. Maybe we won't. No, but maybe. I think that this, I go, that's the next, yeah. that's that journey. I hope that is the journey that our young people will be on. And then in, in, in 25 years' time, this, the conversation is different. Yeah. And um, so I'm, I'm a very hopeful person. And so I hope yeah. this, I try to be, I hope this anthology starts a new dialogue, hope this anthology makes other Aboriginal people around the country read those stories and feel a sense of connection and feel like it's not just me, I'm not alone, and, 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 or, and young people can read this collection and find better ways to um, deal with those who challenge their identity in an, and, and deal with it through... through the verbal and said this, you know. Yeah. So um, I think there's, that the anthology is as much for our, our Aboriginal people. I've had parents say to me, thank you because this will help my, my, my children. And they're the things that, you know, I wasn't thinking about when I'm reading the, the stories because yeah. I say you don't know how people will mm. react. I found that. I found myself calling up my aunt to say, oh, oh listen to this story. 
Look at this reason that a family member gave for the colour of your skin. And then this one, this one. Yeah. Didn't Nan say that? And then someone else said yeah. that? And yeah. And that's... And then it's and that becomes... Sounds, it, it's it's part, part of the personal yeah, yeah. And, and part of the conversation, yeah. but also a bit unexpected. It's yeah. not really what I think is going to happen when I go into reading an no. anthologised collection that can... Is, I mean, it does have an educational aim yeah. to it as well. Well, that was the purpose of doing it, but, but I think people are going to. People, I think there's lots of people picking up this book and not realising no, what not they're at all. in for. And then they're, you know, one story in or two stories yeah. in, like, oh, yeah, this is not. I didn't bargain for this. Yeah. Um, so. But then at the end, they've got this but, tapestry yeah. of voices, this multiplicity. Yeah. Something, another thing That's that you mentioned thing. once about multiplicity. Yeah. So I think experience. the thing is also there's the, there's the similarity of experience mm. in certain areas, but it's the diversity in which the way the stories were told yes. and the voices. Um, you know, people have chosen to tell their stories with, you know, poetry to explain certain things. You know, Don Benrose told a story. He wrote a letter to Dear Australia, which I found that a quite a very powerful piece. Um, so I think that looking at the way, I think readers look at the way stories have been told. Two sisters did their story together. Yeah. So yeah, the, I think the starting yeah. story. Yes. Which is, yeah, just really wonderful. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of humour. Yeah. You know, we don't want to say that it's not no fun. i think a lot of i think there's a lot of humor we, i think i think humor has sustained us over centuries of yeah. adversity and as a, I, I what i see is a lot of warmth a lot of generosity of spirit in this story sharing of stories i i think what people will find is also um which is a very common theme is the the, the sharing of uh, Aboriginal values and and talking about family and you know there's there's stories that talk about the, like the family gatherings and the family lunches and kicking a footy around with the family and I think a very positive side to um, you know family extended family connection to country and so forth so I think yes let's be, let's have listeners understand that there are these dark episodes that that um, are negative experiences that are connecting many of the contributors but also the, the resilience and the strength and identity the warmth and humor um, so it is a real as you say tapestry of who we are and how we were raised and um, you know this contributors who talk about I'm still growing up you know I'll grow up I think Celeste Little says I'll grow up when you know I'll grow up when Australia grows up <laughs> yeah yeah so I guess that brings me just to mm. just to, to bookend what we've been speaking yeah. about We've got this huge, wonderful tapestry now of voices and voices of lived experience right now. And to me, it sits really well on... You know, is it the IASIC, IASIC map of Indigenous... Oh, the IASIC map? Yeah, yeah, yeah of Indigenous map, religious, yeah. um, Indigenous uh, region. Yes. And all the different nations. And it's that kind of tapestry. Yeah. It sits on that. This, like, mm. It makes Australia so full. I, I, I When I talk about that map and in relation to these yes, stories, please, yeah. I, in classrooms, I say to kids... Think of this as the map of Europe. Mm. So they sing out, give me some countries, and they'll say, like, Germany, Italy, and France, and Spain. I said, all those countries have different languages and foods and, and dances and songs and, you know, different ways of life every day. It's this is exactly the same. Yeah. You could drive from here in Noongar country in Perth all the way over to Gadigal country in Sydney and maybe cross 80 different language groups, yeah. different food groups and ways. It's exactly the same. And so... When we layer those stories onto that map, we can understand that some of it, because they're all different 
you know, most of those, most of our contributors don't live on their own country, which is the, which is how it is today. Yeah. Um, and so there's those experiences about growing up Aboriginal on someone else's country, yeah. going back to country, and so forth. So I think it will help people understand the diversity of experience in different places as well. Yeah, yeah, that reminds me what you're saying there. Reminds me, I um read another book earlier this year, Deep Time Dreaming, oh, yes. Billy Griffith's yeah, yeah, book yeah. on um, Indigenous um, archaeology or mm-hmm. Aboriginal archaeology. And one of the things there I thought, which was speaking to what you're speaking of, is this idea that there's been a billion people lived on this continent, mm-hmm. potentially. There's so many thousands yeah, yeah, yeah. of years. There's such yeah. a rich... In, this is a continent. Mm. And I mm-hmm. think what you're saying there is this is a continent. This mm. is a continent of complexity. Yeah of so many nations, of languages, mm. of experiences, and it's a deep and long history. Mm. And so. I think if people just... The idea for the anthology or for my hopes mm. is people just try to read and then try to understand through these very personal stories, mm. we, we can create some empathy and a better understanding and engagement with Indigenous people. And maybe if you understand a little bit more about who we are today based on where we've come from, then moving forward, I hope, should be easier. Because empathy, you know, we talked about, you know, the sameness. We talked about what sense is the same as human beings. All these people, all these contributors have have experienced emotions that other human beings experience. You know, yeah. falling in love, falling out of love, um, fear, sadness, grief, happiness. That's not a black or white thing. It's not a rich or poor thing. It's not a desert or a city thing. It's a human thing. So let's read these stories. I'm a reader as a human being. Let's read these stories of, as from other human beings talking about their life journey in a country where they're First Nations peoples. And maybe if I understand their stories better, I can understand... Uh, where I fit in today and why the nation is the way it is. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, I think that's that's the rallying call we need. That's mm-hmm. a great way to to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone, read mm-hmm. Growing Up Aboriginal in Australia if you haven't already read it, which I know a lot of you have. Yes. yes. Uh, a lot of our listeners have. Just on a purely personal sticky beat kind of note to finish mm-hmm. off the day, mm-hmm. I was just wondering, yes. what is it that you're reading at the moment? Could you tell us what's... What's on your bookshelf? So I'm going to or what are you shock watching? your what listeners. Okay. That is, I'm shocked to myself. Um, what, what are we in? May? Oh, June, really. June. 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 First of June. June. First of June. My, I prided myself for a couple of years running. I did like 52 books in 52 weeks. A lot of them were picture books and YA books. Still. Because I was like advising yeah. librarians and teach librarians. Um, but this year... Actually, the last two years, so when I was working on the anthology and and all this year, my reading has completely dropped off. And that's purely because I do a lot of my reading on planes and in bed. Yeah. And so what's happened is I've last year I did two marathons. I'm training for a marathon now, so I'm in bed incredibly early and I get up early because it's I'm not complaining. I complained a lot last year. But now I just know. <laughs> I just take it. So I don't. It's a time thing, and I and so um, and what I'm doing on planes now is doing lots of emails, um, catch up all my emails, and I'm watching Veep. Huh. Do you know Veep? Yeah. 
Oh my god, it's outrageous! So for your listeners, it's um, is it Julia Dreyfus? Yes, she's yeah. former Elaine from Seinfeld, and she's the elected uh, Democrat. I think Democrat and Vice President of the United States. It's I'm it's completely un PC, but we know that it's it's for a reason. Mm. That scripting is brilliant i think or am i is no really bad? no no scripting it's, is the, ca- it's fantastic, the casting yeah. is brilliant and so i really love just getting on the plane i'm going to watch the next episode of v but i'm about to it's probably been out for years and i'm like behind on everything no i mean it's still going i think oh because i don't even, i don't yeah. even have um i don't have the internet at home because I don't, they're Netflix, Netflix. I said, I don't want, don't have time to read. Mm. Therefore, I don't have time to watch television. Um, so I, all my movie stuff. And the other thing, it's called, I think it's called Newsroom. Um, it's another, mm. is it Newsroom? Yeah, Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. yeah. Well, he yeah. wrote The West Wing yes. as well, which was, I worked with Andrew, um, sorry, Jeffrey Atherton on a TV show, drafting mm. a TV show. And he told me, you need to read the, read the, watch The West Wing for the way in which that's written. Yeah. Because it was brilliantly written yeah. as well. And so, yeah, so I'm not reading a lot. And my, my big treat is watching Veep. But, and I'm about to submit a synopsis for a new book, which means I will be reading, researching for that. But it's it's all good. It's set in Wiradjuri country, so it'll be interesting yeah. and it's all good. Yeah. yeah. And you can keep watching Veep. Then I can just keep watching Veep. Uh, well, thank you so much today for being here with us, Anita. Um, it was really, really wonderful to talk about uh, the collection Growing Up Aboriginal in Australia, uh, which is available from all reading stores. If you haven't yet got your copy, it'll be there. It'll be promptly displayed. There'll be a big pile and grab in, grab one from there. Thank you to Black Ink and thank you again to Anita. You can stream previous episodes of the Readings podcast on our website, readings.com.au, where you'll also find news, reviews and interviews and information on our current book, music and DVD releases. You can even sign up to our newsletter, The Readings Monthly, if you haven't already. Thank you for listening. 